0: Hey there! Before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Kuhau podcast. We hope it encourages you and draws you closer to Jesus as you listen. Let's get excited for this message and let's get ready to hear from God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 25. My favorite verse in the whole, my favorite first words in the whole Bible. It says, you foolish Galatians! (laughs) You foolish Galatians! if you came to be encouraged today, I came to tell you, you foolish Galatians. He says, who has bewitched you? Another translation, I'll put it this way, actually in the original language it says, who has given you the evil eye, el mal de ojo, like that evil eye that, you know, like that he looking at me sideways kind of thing. It's not really like this demonic thing, but it's almost like a demonic thing. It's like, they've looked at you with eyes of judgment. Who has given you the evil eye? And he uses it in a contrast form because he says it was before your eyes. So other people are giving you evil eyes, but remember that before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works or by the law or by hearing by faith? Are you so foolish? Don't you feel encouraged in this house today? <laughs> That's twice already in a matter of three verses. Are you so foolish? having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh Paul's is, Paul is like hey listen do you not realize that it was the spirit of god that saved you the spirit of god that met you the spirit of god that began to transform you the spirit of god that wiped you clean how could it be that he started the work and now you're depending on your works to finish the process he says does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law he says do you think that god's miraculous touch over your life is directly connected by how good you could follow the law of moses he says god's miraculous work in your life has nothing to do with your performance has nothing to do with your pedigree has nothing to do with your resume has nothing to do with your ability on following the law god's god's miraculous work has everything to do with his love and his grace over your life Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, Now, you might get offended by this word foolish, but this is actually one of the harshest terms that you'll find in all of the New Testament. He says, you foolish Galatians, now watch this. This is the only time in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul will address church people as foolish. Now, this is a surprise to me because when you look at the church in Corinth, man, they're mad. Like, they are gung-ho crazy. I mean, stuff is happening. Sin is everywhere. There's somebody that's sleeping with their stepmother. There are people that are committing idolatry, and they're still prophesying. There are people that are living hypocritical lives, one foot in, one foot out. And this, and he never calls them foolish. Sends me the message that Paul found it more egregious for you to have wrong believing than for you to have wrong behaving. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. He's saying this. Listen, you think you're a son of Abraham through lineage and through bloodline, but what you don't realize is that the promise was not just made through the bloodline of Abraham. The promise was made to the offspring that would come through the line of Abraham and those that would place faith in that offspring, which is Jesus Christ. So if there was ever a debate if you were God's people simply because you are not part of the Abrahamic Bloodline, it makes it clear here in the book of Galatians that God's people are not necessarily the ones that come through the bloodline of Abraham, but for those that have placed faith in the offspring that has come through the bloodline of Abraham, who is the man in God, Jesus Christ. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written by the book of the law. And do them. Now, is it? It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather than, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse thirteen, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. These Judaizers were telling the, the, the church in Galatians essentially this, hey, you have to become a Jew before you become a follower of Jesus. Hey, there is the Abrahamic covenant, but you also have to follow the Mosaic covenant. Essentially, you have to become a Jew before you become a Jesus. you got to get circumcised. you got to follow all 613 laws of the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant, and then you can receive the promise. And Paul is making an appeal here to a greater covenant, which is the covenant that he made with Abraham. And he says, hey, listen, that covenant was by faith. 430 years before the Mosaic Covenant ever existed, God made a covenant with Abraham that through Abraham, Abraham's seed would be blessed and that seed would be a blessing to the world. And so essentially he's saying the law cannot help you become righteous. It can only show you your unrighteousness. But you're depending on the law thinking that it will make you righteous when your forefather Abraham who believed before the law ever existed was accounted to him as righteousness. Have you ever realized that before the Mosaic Covenant God operated with his people through grace? Sometimes we like the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not all the Mosaic law because 430 years before the mosaic law ever existed was the abrahamic covenant here's where we're going to land today in verse 15 and on it says we got 10 more verses guys 10 more verses here we go to give a human example brothers even with a man-made covenant no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified once it has been signed off once it has been made valid now the promises were made to abraham and to his offspring it does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many. It's referring to one. And to your offspring who is, everybody say Christ, Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is no, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. It begs the question, why then the law? It was added because of your transgressions. He gives the purpose of the law right here. He says, hey, listen, the reason that the law exists is because it was added because of your iniquities. It was added because of your sins. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. It says, why then the law? It was added because of your transgressions until until in other words it had an expiration date until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by the uh, through angels by an intermediary now an intermediary uh, intermediary implies more than one but God is one is the law then contrary to the promise of God certainly not for if the law had been given, that could give life then righteousness would indeed be by the law but the scriptures imprison everything under sin so that the promise by faith through Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe now before faith came we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith who would be revealed so then the law was our guardian until Christ came someone shout Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian end. I think you should give yourselves a round of applause. You guys just read 25 verses in the New Testament. My title to, t- to today's teaching, today's message is this. Write this down, and I'm going to encourage you. Please take out your phones. Have something that you can write on. Make sure you close all your Instagram apps and all your social media apps, but I want to encourage you to take notes today. The title to today's teaching is A Better Covenant. Help me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments that we have together. I pray that you speak to your church today, Lord, this message that you have given us, Lord. I believe, really, really believe that this will transform hearts today. In Jesus' name, we pray and we love you. Everybody shouts amen and amen can we give God a shout of praise in this house how how many of us were were born I mean how many of us were born in the 90s oh not born in the 90s but you grew up in the 90s like like how many believe that the 90s was the era Am I the only one, right? Like, the 90s, like, you ain't never lived life unless you lived through the 90s. The 90s was the best era in all of history. And I might be a little bit biased, but I really believe, like, there's no era like the 90s. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? One of the things I love about the 90s is that the 90s was a family kind of oriented uh, decade. It was, like, very family, or, like, all the shows were about family. Anybody remember my favorite show of all time was Family Matters. I love Family Matters. Um, But even the cartoons, there are no cartoons like that now today, but even the cartoons were family oriented. This is why I love the 90s. And uh, one of my favorite cartoons, anybody remember this, The Flintstones? Uh, Oh, y'all missed out. We got a lot of millennials in the room. We're praying for y'all. But we had, we had, y'all remember the Flintstones? How about the Jetsons, right? Like, the Jetsons were amazing, weren't they? Like, uh, these were wholesome shows, but then there was this kind of like rated R show. It was called The Simpsons. We had to sneak and watch that, all right? This is uh, the 90s, right? And, And I read this article on The Simpsons, or it was really an article of grace, but it was using The Simpsons, as a illustration of the grace of God. And I thought it was amazing because there's this epic scene that happens in The Simpsons. You can actually look this up on YouTube and you can watch the scene for yourself. But it's an epic scene because if you remember, Homer's daughter is named Lisa Simpson. Now, Lisa Simpson gets a, a reward or a check by a man by, uh, by the name of Mr. Burns, Marty Burns. And, he, and she's offered a check for 10% of $120 million, Mr. Burns walks in. He says, hey, listen, I want to give you what, what, is your, what belongs to you. This is your cut. This belongs to you because you gave me this idea, and you were my agent, and so here's your 10% cut. He goes around. He writes her a check. He gives it, places it in her hand, and she has, a, she has to, to, to make a decision because those funds were kind of, you know, they were a little sketchy. They were, they were gained through sketchy means. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about by experience, but no judgment right here. You know what I'm talking about? And so she has to make a, and the the tension builds and she has to make the decision. Am I going to take this check that came through sketchy means? Am I going to take this check? And she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And I love this scene because she rips it up, throws it on the ground, and then Homer Simpson passes out. He like falls back, passes out. He's rushed to the hospital, gets to the hospital. The nurse looks at him and the nurse is like, hey, I've never seen somebody come back from four heart attacks back to back to back to back. And then Lisa Simpson goes up to him and she says, Dad, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cause this. I just couldn't take that 10% cut of $120 million. And Homer says, it's okay, sweetie. But we really could have used those $12,000. If y'all knew math, you would know that that is hysterical. He says, I could have really used those $12,000. Did you catch that? No, Mr. Homer Simpson. 10% of $120 million is not $12,000. It's more like $12 million. And I don't know if you noticed and if you caught it in in this way, but in the same way that Homer Simpson's bad math made him lose how valuable the check actually was, sometimes our bad theology on grace makes us lose out on realizing how valuable grace actually is. See, I think I think I think what Homer did is that he put a $12,000 price tag on something that was worth Twelve million dollars, and and sometimes because of our upbringing, I told you I was going to try to I was going to try to teach, but this is the preaching part of the message, so I'll be back to the seat in a second. He put a twelve thousand dollar price tag on something that was worth twelve million dollars, and sometimes because of our upbringing and because of our experience in church and because simply we haven't really encountered Jesus and profoundly had an encounter with Jesus, we can't really appreciate all that grace has to offer, and we've put a we've put a low price tag on, on a low value on how powerful and how amazing grace actually is. Like the, the, the and, and this is what I really believe. The reason some of us still feel condemned is because we're still operating under a $12,000 grace. The reason some of us can't love the way God has called us to love is because we're still operating under a $12,000 grace. The reason some of us still get offended so easily is because we're still Operating under a $12,000 grace. The reason some of us can't forgive as quickly as God has called us to forgive is because we're still operating under a $12,000 grace. The reason that some of us are still living lives of insecurity is because we're still operating under a $12,000 grace. The reason some of us are living with one foot in and one foot out and half-stepping our calling with one foot in and one foot out is because you've put a price tag of $12,000 grace when Christ, when Christ says that my grace, is, my grace is amazing, my grace is super abounding. There is so much more have in store and sometimes we we devalue the grace of God and the grace of God can be so amazing so potent so powerful and simply because we've put a $12,000 price tag we don't know what it is that God has made available to us but that stops today I said that stops today I said that's, somebody better catch this in their spirit. I said that stops today because if there's health in grace and it's made available to me, then I want that. If there's prosperity in grace and it's available to me, I don't know about you, but I want that. If there's forgiveness in grace and it's available to me, then I want that. If there is victory in grace and that's been made available to me, then I want that. Somebody shout, I want that in this house. This is what Paul is saying. It's saying in the book of Galatians, particularly in chapter 3, he's talking to a group of people that they're operating in grace, but it's a $12,000 grace. They're operating in the grace of God, but they're more like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, we, we, we like grace. Grace is awesome. Grace is amazing. But he's realizing that the way they talk about grace, the way they have experience, the way they are functioning is as if they don't know the value Of the grace of God that's been made available to them. This is why we talk about grace so much because we really believe in this church that grace is the foundation of everything that God is going to do in your life. Listen, if you have a shaky foundation on your theology of grace, then everything you build on it will depend on the quality of the kind of grace revelation that you have. And so in Galatians chapter five he says this, He says, "Does he who supply the spirit to you and work miracles among you do this by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteous." Now I want to fast forward here, because I want to jump for the sake of time. I want to jump over to like verse. 14 when he continues to talk about Abraham. Because there's so much here that we can unpack. We could literally spend maybe about another eight weeks just on chapter 3. In verse 18 he says, I'm sorry, in verse 14 it says, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, here's where I want to land for the for the remainder of our message so here's a human example even if a made me covenant everybody shout covenant everybody shout covenant I need I need to hear y'all shout covenant I'm doing that for y'all no one annuls it or adds it to it once it has been ratified now the promise were the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring it was made to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. It's to his offspring, which is Jesus Christ. This is what I mean when I say the law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, and so as to make the promise void. For, in the inheritance comes by, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is no, longer, it no longer comes by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. I want you to notice the language here. And again, I want you to take these notes. Here's where we begin to get started. Paul begins to talk about covenants. Particularly, he's alluding to three different covenants. Everybody shout covenant. So he talks about covenants now. There's several covenants In throughout the Bible. Particularly, there's around eight covenants in the Bible. We can talk about the Adamic Covenant. We we can talk about the Edenic Covenant, the covenant that was made in Eden. We can talk about the Davidic Covenant. But in this context, Paul is alluding to three particular covenants. Everybody shout covenant. Number one is the Abrahamic Covenant. Write that down. The Abrahamic Covenant. Number two is the Mosaic covenant; it is the Mosaic covenant, and number three, it is the New Covenant. The understanding here was that the Judaizers were step were were seeping themselves into the to the Galatian church, and started uh, preaching a heretical gospel that would lead people to believe that they would have to follow the rules of the law before they can ever receive the Messiah as their Savior. And so this started making sense to the people that were following Jesus during that time. They were saying, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, we had the law, we had Abraham's covenant, and that was a covenant of grace. Then we had the Mosaic covenant. But now that we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, we still got to keep those covenants. Paul is like, you foolish Galatians. Do you not realize when you do that, you are devaluing the grace of God? And so let me talk to you about the Abrahamic covenant. Number one, the Abrahamic covenant is found in Genesis chapter 12, verse one and three. Write that down. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land and I will to the land that I will show you. I love that because he's like, hey, I need you to get up and go. I don't know about you, but I'm going to need some questions answered, Lord, if you want me to get up and go. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse you and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. If you notice here, it was never God's intention for people to become righteous through the law. And this is, what the, this is what the Apostle Paul's appeal is. It's, it's, hey, it's never God's intention for people to be made righteous through the law. He's like, hey, do you know this man named Abraham? 430 years before the law ever existed and came into existence, this man was deemed righteous apart from the works of the law. Why? Because he believed in the covenant. Notice the language. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant because God uses the language of I will bless you. I will make your name great. God takes full responsibility and he takes the onus of keeping the covenant upon himself and this is an unconditional covenant. Everybody shout covenant. Number 2 is the Mosaic covenant. Again, I want to I want to I want to paint the picture that the apostle Paul is is, is trying to communicate to the church in Galatians. Number two is the Mosaic Covenant, and so th- this is the language that he's using. In the Mosaic Covenant, this is found in Exodus chapter 19. Now, this is a totally different covenant. Verse 5 and 8, it says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, here's what they said. I love this because I never saw this before. But the people of Israel actually came into an agreement with God. They actually understood the terms that were presented before him, before them, and they said yes to those terms. This was an agreement that took place between God and the people of Israel. And look what they said. They said this unanimously together. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And so in understanding the different covenants in the Bible and their relationship with one another, it's important to understand that the Mosaic Covenant is extremely different from the Abrahamic Covenant, primarily because the Mosaic Covenant, I hope I'm not boring y'all, am I helping somebody today? You, Anybody learning today? Give me an amen, come on. The Mosaic Covenant is much different from the Abrahamic Covenant because it is a conditional covenant covenant which is to say that the people of Israel said Lord we will do whatever you ask in this covenant God's blessings were connected to Israel's ability to follow the law but the thing about the law is that the law was never meant to make people righteous and so somewhere along the line the people of Israel took on a temporary identity, took on a permanent identity that was meant to be temporary. They took on a permanent identity that was simply meant to be temporary. And and in context, this is talking about the people of Israel, but I don't know if there's anybody here that maybe you're still stuck in what God was doing. You're still stuck in an identity that you've associated yourself with in the past, and God is trying to do something different in your life, and God is trying to give you a new identity with a new message, with a new thing. (laughs) Lisa and I were walking. Uh, We did a a two-and-a-half-hour hike. It was a hike, right? There's a hike? Is that how you call it? Okay, a hike. Now, this is interesting because there were were signs in the hike, and it says, hikers go here, campers go here, trailers go here. I didn't know what I was. So I'm like, I think I'm a hiker. And the Lord spoke to us so profoundly yesterday. Because it was like, wow, it's amazing. Because I was able, because I associated myself with being a hiker, I followed the directions that it gave to hikers. And oftentimes you're living a life that you were never meant to live simply because you have identified with something and you have followed the ways of which you have identified. And maybe in the past you've identified with something. Maybe in the past... Past you saw yourself as something, but God is saying this listen, don't create a permanent identity with a person that with, with an identity that was supposed to be temporal. Maybe that's who you used to be, but that's not who I want you to be. Maybe that's who they used to call you, but that's not who I want you to be. Maybe that's what you used to do, but I'm doing a new thing in your life. Maybe that's who you were, but that's not who you are. Ooh. So you ask the question, then why the law? I love it because Paul was preaching in a way that would make you beg the question. Listen to this. That would make you beg the question, then what's the purpose of the law? You know you're preaching good when people are like, hey, then what's the purpose of the law? You know what I never asked growing up in church? hey, what's the purpose of the law? (laughs) Because I knew I had to follow the law. Or according to the persuasion that I was raised in, is I I have to follow the law. You know, I was never confused of whether I could sin or not. Did did you know that? You know what I never asked? Hey, is it okay for me to sin? But do you know that Paul preached grace so radically that they asked the question, so then, can I sin? Listen, if if you're not making that question be asked, then you might not be preaching the grace of God to the extent the Apostle Paul was preaching it. He's like, hey! Then what's the purpose of the law? And I want to give you the purpose of the law. Write this down. As I got 13 minutes and 41 seconds, and I'm still in my introduction. Come on, baby! Galatians chapter 3, it gives you the purpose of the law, and you could also see it in Romans. But write this down. The purpose of the law, number one. to reveal to us our sin. Write that down. The purpose of the law, if you're watching it online, write that down in your notes or put that in the chat. The purpose of the law is number one, to reveal to us our sin. In other words, the law shows us what is wrong in God's eyes, but it also shows us that our hearts are wicked because of our humanity's inability to keep God's law. And so you see the law could show us something is wrong, but the law could never do anything about the wrongness in our heart. It, 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 when spellcheck first came out, anybody old enough to remember that spellcheck came out? How many know, don't know how to spell Jack anymore because spellcheck is alive, right? How many thank God for spellcheck, right? Do you guys remember when spell check first came out? All spellcheck did was let you know that this is wrong but it wouldn't tell you how to correct it. And so like you're like typing, you put in the English language as we learned, it doesn't make sense. So I'm putting a a silent h and a silent p and it's still not making sense and but that's what spell check originated as. It was just letting you know that hey, bah, bah, red squiggly line underneath it's wrong. So it was now it has been sophisticated. Now it auto-corrects. Now I love it because I just, I just type in the area of the letter and it auto-corrects for me. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean? Like, like I love that. It does auto. I just type in the area. Like, my fat fingers just hit like three, three letters at the same time. But that's what the law was. It would just let you know, hey, something's wrong. Hey, that's a sin. That's all it would tell you. Hey, that's wrong. The second thing that the law was, the purpose of law is that the, the it reveals God's holy standard. God is holy. God is set apart. The word holy means set apart. God is in a class all by himself. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, the purpose of the law is to reveal your sin. The purpose of the law is to show God's holy standard, that God had a standard of perfection. And this is what he wanted for humanity. humanity but then man sinned. And here's the third one. The law reveals to us, this is my favorite one, the need of a savior. God created the law so that we can come to the end of our human effort and say, God, I need a savior, to which God says, you're welcome. Here goes Jesus. Paul's like, this is not about church. Paul's like, you have created a temporary identity You've created a permanent identity based on something that was supposed to be for a moment. It was supposed to be temporary. Paul's like, it was never meant to be about regulations. It was about, to be a, it was about being in a relationship with God. This was never about your rule keeping. This was about your love towards God. This is not about a guide. This is about a transformation of heart through faith. In verse 23, he says, now before faith came, I love this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We no longer need a guardian. I love it because this is what essentially Paul is saying. It's like, hey, listen, the reason that the law was there was to make sure you didn't get too crazy. Like, like that's the purpose of the law. It was to make sure that you didn't get too crazy before Jesus Christ came into the picture. Like, you you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, it's like this. Like, we are dog-sitting two dogs demonically possessed. They need, oh my God, somebody bring an exorcist because those two dogs, oh my God, they need Jesus for sure. And we're dog sitting these two dogs and I'm, I'm, I only do it because I love my daughter and I love my son, all right? That's the only reason. I'm a, I'm a good, good father. Is who I am. Thank you, Jesus. And we started letting those dogs run loose. And we quickly found out that they needed parameters. <laughs> they needed guidelines. <laughs> they needed boundaries. Why? Because when you let them loose, they go and they become a disaster in the house. They go tearing up everything, eating everything, pooping on everything, pee peeing on everything and God forbid you step on a puddle it feels like you're melting and your foot is about to come off it's like I love when it happens to Lisa because she's like so what did the dogs need? they needed boundaries because when you let them loose they not only destroy things they destroy themselves do you see the law? The law was the guide, the law was the the guardian, the law was the the boundaries that God put so that his people won't get so contaminated with the world, so that the offspring would be be preserved in such a way that Jesus could come. That's why it says, hey, it was good, but it had expiration date. Once the promise was here, (laughs) that's why Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Excuse me, that word fulfill was not so much that he was fulfilling the 613 laws itself. That word fulfill actually meant, he says, I came to complete the purpose why it was set in the first place. Last thing, number three, the new covenant. Everybody shout new covenant. New covenant, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 31 and 34. Is this helping anybody here today? Come on, somebody. Behold, the days are coming. You see it? You see what he says in Galatians? But now faith came. Let's go back to Galatians. But now faith came, so we no longer need a guardian. What is he alluding to? He's alluding to the prophetic messages that are coming throughout the Old Testament. Look at Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their forefathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Not my covenant, which they, that God sounded a little petty there. I'm going to be honest. He's like, not the covenant that they broke. You know what I'm saying? Though I was their husband. I love God's swag right there. He's like, not the one that they broke, you know, though I was, it was married to them declares the Lord for this covenant. Someone shout this covenant. He says this covenant that I make with the house of Israel after the days declares the Lord, I will put my Lord in them. And I will write in it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me. This is why Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit because he says once you encounter the Holy Spirit his, his law is written in your heart. In other words, the attitude, the sentiment the reason that the law existed is written in your heart. He's saying it like this. He's saying, listen, this new covenant is so amazing because it doesn't force you to do what God wants you to do. It compels you to do what God wants you to do. It puts the want in you to do what God wants you to do. It gives you the desire. Some people be like, it's hard to be a Christian. I'm like listen, if it's hard to be a Christian, then you're doing it the wrong way because God changes the desires of your heart God changes the motives of your heart I don't want to sin anymore I want to live a life that pleases God through the grace of God he goes this is a new covenant declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquities hear me and I will remember their sins no more this is, the, this is why the, the Apostle Paul goes back and he's like, hey, listen, you're still doing sacrifices for the sins that you've committed. But God is saying, I don't remember it no more. And this might be for you here in this place today. Some people, we might even come to church to make amends for the sins that we've committed. But God is saying, listen, I don't remember them no more. You might be like, but I failed. God is saying, I don't remember it no more. You might say, I've done wrong. But God is saying, I don't remember it no more you might say listen I've sinned really really bad God is saying I don't remember no more okay that was my introduction (sighs) so what's so good about this covenant what's so good about this covenant Paul Paul's like, listen, listen, you're you're operating under a $12,000 grace. It's so much more than that. And there's some of us in this place, man, you've been going to church for a long time or maybe you've been just visiting just for a short period of time and you still don't understand because you still have this, this perception that has been preached by people who have misrepresented the kingdom of God. And so you look at all Christians as people who are judgmental, people who are legalistic, people that are waiting to put rules on you before you even encounter the king that puts the desires for you to follow those rules effortlessly. He says, This is amazing. This is a new covenant. And here's what I want you to write down. That this is a better covenant, Paul says. It's a new covenant. In Hebrews, he spe- in, in the book of Hebrews, he spends chapter after chapter just showing how this is a better covenant. And here's what I want you to write down. Write this down. It's a better covenant because it is a covenant of grace. Which means that in the old covenant, you reaped what you sow. But under the new covenant, you reaped what Christ has sown. See, in the old, you did to get But in the new covenant, you get because Christ has done. See, in the new covenant, it was contingent to your obedience for you to get a blessing. But under the new covenant, and according to Ephesians, it says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing that is made available through God's grace. Under the old covenant, it is do, 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 don't, don't, don't. But under the new covenant, it's, it's done, it's done, it's done. Can somebody give God a shout of praise? You know what I'm talking about. See, the old covenant fails because it hinges on your imperfect obedience, but the new covenant endures because it's founded on Christ's perfect obedience. Under the old covenant, you are blessed if you do good, but under the new covenant, you are blessed because God is good. It's a covenant of grace. And as the worship team comes up, Number two is a covenant of new life. Someone shout, a covenant. Say it again, say, a covenant. See, under the old covenant, Paul is making kind of like this appeal that you could follow it. You could follow the rules of the law and still not be made righteous. This is what Paul is saying. He says, you can do righteous things and still not be righteous. This is why the the prophets would say things like your righteousness is like filthy rag. This is why when Jesus comes in in Matthew chapter 5, he says, hey, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not be able to inherit the kingdom. What is he talking about? He's talking about a quality of righteousness. He says, if your righteousness is predicated upon you following the law, then it is filthy rags in the presence of God because the only righteousness that impresses God is a righteousness that comes through faith, which is through believing in the work of Jesus. So this is a covenant of new life. Under the Old Covenant, the best you can get is self-improvement. This is why sometimes I hear messages, and all they are is, if you really think about it, some of our most popular preachers that I will not name, and I honestly love, I love message. If there's anything that I enjoy doing, I do three things, okay? I practice self-defense, and I watch UFC, right? I listen to preachings, and I study. And I look good. All right, that's the three things that I do well. Come on, thank you, Lewis. Lewis, anybody else want to join Lewis? All right, God, God bless you. Some of the, the most popular messages—just listen to them. They're just self—they're self-help. There, it's it's your time, it's your moment. You're 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 gonna you're gonna enter in, but when you listen carefully, you'll see that it's absent of Jesus. Just listen to it. They don't end with Jesus. They don't talk about Jesus. They'll just give you a self-motivation, which I believe that's good. I believe in encouragement. But let me tell you that the essence to our encouragement is grounded under Jesus. I don't want to tell you, hey, here are the seven things that you need to do to become victorious and then leave Jesus out of it. Jesus is the reason why you can become victorious and so sometimes the best you can get out of the old covenant is simply this is self-improvement but under the new covenant is a covenant of new life which means this that, that under the new covenant you become new you become listen, I'm, someone needs to catch this in their spirit today you become new and you know what the enemy will try to get you to think That because you've done wrong, you are not new. You'd be like, You're not new. You're still who you used to be. You're still that person. And God is saying, No, no, no. This is a covenant of new life. I've made you consistently, perpetually, forever, eternally, brand new. It's a covenant of new life you get new life in this new covenant I don't know where you are here today but some of us are walking in old habits, some of us are walking in old mentalities and we're thinking we're still who we used to be and God is letting you know, listen are you addicted? because salvation is for everyone, are you poor? because salvation is for the poor are you sick? because salvation is for the sick, this is a grace covenant this is a covenant that gives you new life and it's not just for some, it's not just for a group of people. It's for everyone. Are you black? Are you white? Are you Hispanic? Are you Asian? This covenant is for It's a covenant of new life the old covenant said if you listen, if you bring, if you pay, if you pay, if you obey, or if you disobey, but the new covenant says you're forgiven, you're healed, you're blessed, you're righteous, you're holy, you're accepted, you are loved. Why? Because you've placed faith in the one Christ. Woo. Do you see why it's important for you to understand the grace of God? because if the enemy can't steal your salvation he'll just try to steal the joy of your salvation he'll make you being saved not fun because he'll introduce religion and regulations into it the last point I want to introduce to you today is the reason that this is a better covenant is because it is a covenant that can't be broken <laughs> I said it's a covenant that can't be broken. I said it's a covenant that can't be broken. It's a covenant that can't be broken. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. The greatest fighter on the planet, Conor McGregor. I don't care what you say. Greatest fighter on the planet, Conor McGregor. Somebody tag him on this post. Come on, somebody. Conor McGregor recently broke his leg, his tip and his fib, his tip, fib, whatever, in a fight. And I thought it was over for my man. And then he had a surgery. Watch this. And in the surgery, this is his testimony. I'm not sure if it's accurate or not, but it will serve real good for this message. He says, they put a titanium rod in my leg that is unbreakable. That means I'm going to throw as many kicks as possible, and that thing will never break again. Because there's a titanium rod from my knee to my ankle. Can I tell you what Jesus Christ did in your life? that he performed a surgery that would create a covenant in such a way That it would be unbreakable. Why? Because it's not dependent on you and your ability and your strength. Watch this. Because the covenant is not just between you and God, the covenant is between God and His Son. And God says this Hey, listen, I know I ain't gonna break it, and I know my Son ain't gonna break it. But if you are found in my Son, if you are found in His grace, this covenant is everlasting to everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. Can somebody give God a shout? of praise in this place if you are part of the new covenant in this house get up on your feet and give God a it's a covenant that is unbreakable God made a covenant with Adam and Adam broke it God made a covenant with Israel and Israel broke it now god makes a covenant with his son jesus christ and jesus christ kept it till the t i said he kept it to the t and now he says now he says the promise is here he says the promise is here. And under this new covenant, you got promises. Listen, the reason that the covenant is good, the reason that the covenant is greater than you can ever imagine, stop shortchanging yourself on a $12,000 covenant. God has given you a priceless covenant because this covenant has promises. This covenant says, I've forgiven you. This covenant says, I've forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. It has the promise that he promised you that he'll never be angry again he promised you that he will be with you and he will never forsake you he promised you that he will give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will empower you and the Holy Spirit will give you gifts and the Holy Spirit will to for your life the Holy Spirit will give you victory are there any victorious people in this? thank you Jesus okay Alright, we're done. Take a seat. Woo! Alright. I want to pray for you. You're in this house. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how long you've known God. I know there's some areas in our lives that need to be upgraded because you're still living on the $12,000 grace. God is saying, I need you to enter the priceless grace that we're sin-abound, grace much more abound. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. And maybe today you're you're listening to us online and you're saying, I want to know that kind of love. I want to know that kind of forgiveness. I want to know that kind of grace. I want to pray for you. So I want to pray for two kinds of people today. If you're here today, you say, hey, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I want to pray for you. And number two, if you're here today and you're saying, listen, I need to get the upgrade. I need to realize that I'm not under a $12,000 grace. I need to abide under the abundant, lavish grace of God. And that's you. Lift up your hand at the count of three. One, today Jesus loves you. Three, today is the day of salvation. Three, lift up your hands all over this room. If that's you, if that's you, if that's you, that's you. you, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. Put your hand right back down, put it right back down. Let's pray. If you desire to place faith in Jesus, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life because of your love. I repent and turn to you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that today I am a new new creation in your son, Christ Jesus. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Can we celebrate Jesus in this house? No, I really mean it. Can you just stop whatever you're doing and just celebrate the name of Jesus in this house? Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. Subscribe now and stay connected to all of our latest messages. And if this message really blessed you, pass along the blessing by sharing it with a friend. We pray that you will be given the opportunity to apply this message and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.